Thank you, Trio. Miss Chris wrote that song and grateful for how God's used her in that regard. Galatians chapter 6, and then we'll dismiss our children to children's ministry. We have our children's ministry this morning. We have our King's Kids ministry Wednesday night. Galatians chapter 6 is where we are. We'll be looking at the closing out section of the book of Galatians. After 29 messages, we'll most likely complete this. And we'll, a couple directions, still trying to get the mind of the Lord on for our next series. Galatians chapter number 6. And when you have that, let's stand together and we'll look at verse number 11 through verse number 18. Paul writes, beginning in verse 11. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Now, the, there's, it has to be speculation because we're not given clarity as to why, but the assumption is not that Paul is talking about a large letter, meaning how long it is, but this is where many have connected the fact of Paul's eyesight was poor, and so he took the pen from the scribe and he wrote the, the last part of the book like he would do in other books of the Bible. And, um, and he wrote it rather large compared to the other section of the, uh, of the manuscript. And so uh, he says, verse 12, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. You remember, this is what he's been dealing with leading up to this, uh, this last section. Only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit Amen. There's many things that we could still spend time on and, and a message can be presented on, on many nuances of things that were stated and given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I want to draw our attention to verse number 17. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. In this final message, this 29th message of this series, in which we've been talking about God's desire and design and the Spirit of God using Paul to write so that we could find liberation and freedom and liberty in Christ. And Paul concludes this, this powerful letter talking about these marks. And so I want to preach this morning on this thought, the marks of the Master. 
the marks of the master being branded for Jesus. Thank you. Please be seated. Are you marked by the master? Do you wear the marks of the master? In this final section of Galatians, it's more than a wrap up and just trying to bring it to an end. It is a reiteration of what Paul has been getting across the central thrust and his chief aims. In the scope of these few verses, Paul reinforces the argument of Galatians and applies it to the hearers just as forcefully as he has been. And with this in mind, we find the burden of Galatians as a whole, I think, in verse 14, when he says, But God forbid that I should glory, save except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, evidently, we see this as a firing little letter. And it is a call to do just what Paul is describing, that is, boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. When speaking of the cross, let's remind ourselves that it's something that is different than how we see it today. It's not a, a little symbol that's worn around a chain on a chain around somebody's neck. The matter of the cross was always that of shame, humiliation, because it was one of the ancient methods of execution. But when we take away the, the religious sentimentality that surrounds the symbol, we're confronted with the fact that it was a weapon of torture and intimidation. The cross was the ancient world's guillotine or firing squad or electric chair or gas chamber. Only it was far worse, less humane. It was more gruesome and altogether hideous way to die. What then could it possibly mean when Paul says to boast in the cross of Christ? And we don't typically commend and find the Bible commending boasting. When we do, it's certainly not boasting in weapons or torture or even execution. That'd be like saying, I'm so thrilled about the electric chair that we just got down, at the, at the, uh, uh, down the road and the Capitol, or I'm so thankful for the, the new improved gas chamber or the, the fine... Uh, mechanism that they are now using to inject the lethal dose into one's body. I'm sure proud of those things. We don't hear that. But we do need to remember that boasting is how we verbalize our confidence. It's how we make hope audible. Boasting is hope that you can hear. No one can peer into your soul. No one can see into my heart and see the source of confidence of the object of my hope. But they can hear what you and I talk about. The things that excite you. The things that you commend or the things that you celebrate. In that sense, each one of us boasts all the time. We're always expressing our confidence in one thing or another. We just can't help it. We, we're hardwired for hope and we're pre-programmed to verbalize this hope in various acts of boasting. Uh, often we boast in objects that we think will provide us happiness tomorrow. 
We may say enthusiastic things about a a car, how reliable, how fast it is. Or a pair of shoes, how comfortable they are. Or a computer, how fast it is. Or a, a, a watch, how new and exciting it is. Or an investment and how lucrative uh, that will be. And, and sometimes we boast about others commending them as a reliable source of, of our hope. Sometimes we boast in ourselves. We're expressing confidence in our own future, whether it's near, it's distant, because of some quality that we possess, whether real or imagined. But it's against this backdrop that we're prepared to take a closer look at what Paul's talking about and why Paul claims that he himself and Christians, by implication, ought to boast in this one thing. The cross of Christ. For the apostle, this means we're to see the cross as the source of every good in our lives and in this world. And it means we're to put zero confidence in anything else. Knowing the cross alone secures a bright future and really is the basis of any hope. And these verses, Paul's writing as he, we, we mentioned early on in the first couple of chapters, he's writing because there's been some accusations. Some accusations about his ministry, some criticism concerning his claim of apostleship. Remember the big problem? Remember the ones, the, the false teachers? Remember who those were? They were the Judaizers. And so these Judaizers, they're trying to get... God's people to go back into some Old Testament way of living around some rituals, around some Old Testament laws, and they're trying to get them to buy into this matter of circumcision. What they're simply saying is, you need to be a a believer like us. You need to be like a Jew. And if you're going to be a good Jew, then this is how you've got to do it. And so they're trying to also, in order to get across their way of teaching and their influence into people's lives, they have to marginalize and discredit Paul. And that's what happens oftentimes when somebody is wanting to have their own influence, they're going to do so by marginalizing somebody else. Beware lest you are falling prey to something that's going to be dangerous to you by listening to someone who's trying to marginalize someone else who has been given that right and that leadership. And Paul says, well, I've got something to say about that. And the fact that Paul preaches a message, uh, these Judaizers are saying, and, and he preaches this message, and, and, and it's good, but you need to know he leaves some stuff out. He's not authentic. He's not a real preacher, and he's not a real apostle of Jesus because he's leaving out some of these fine matters concerning the law. And so Paul sums up his defense of this letter, which he's been dealing with, And basically he's saying, if you want to know whether or not I'm real, if you want to know whether or not I love Christ, if you want to examine the depth of my commitment, he said, just take a look at my body. He said, I bear in my body the marks of my love and the marks of my loyalty and the marks of my allegiance to Jesus Christ. And when Paul said that, he wasn't speaking symbolically. I don't think he's speaking figuratively. I think he's speaking literally. 
And so I want us to think about the Apostle Paul and to look at what he's talking about in this passage when he talks about being branded for Jesus and bearing the marks of his master. Because I think you and I need to be able to say to people, if you want to know whether I'm a genuine Christian, if you want to know if my love for Jesus is real, and if you want to know whether I mean what I preach on Sunday and what I live on Sunday all throughout the remainder of the week, then look at my life and notice in my life the marks of the master. I want you to see three things this morning. Number one, the making of the marks. And Paul refers to bearing in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus in verse 17. Where and how were these marks made? I think we can go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. You want to take your Bible and turn over, just go backwards just a few pages. In 2 Corinthians, the book right before um, Galatians, and we see in verse number 23, How did Paul get the literal scars that covered his body? 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 23. Hey there. Got it. I'll give you a moment to see it. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thirty-nine stripes, five different times. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Also, many died after just one beating with a rod. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils by mine own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among the false brethren. In weariness and painfulness in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. We're talking about the making of the mark. So you can go back to Galatians 6. Paul's telling us of what happened without his body must have been disfigured. His body must have been crippled. His face must have been covered with distortions and scars. And of course, his back and his legs would have been covered with the scars he'd received from the beatings. 39 stripes, five different occasions. The beating they gave that day as punishment. Many times people would die again just from one beating of the rod. One beating with the, the whip. Yet Paul survived those. I think about this in terms of what Paul said in Romans 8 verse 34 through 35 when he said nothing can separate us 
from the love of Christ. And then he elaborated, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you know that he said that out of personal experience. He could write to us and say, I know that, the, that nothing the devil can throw at you has to defeat you because it can't separate you from the love of Christ. And he says, I know that because I've been there. All the marks in the body of the apostle Paul. You know, we talk about serving Jesus. We talk about sacrifice. Yet, I don't know that I know anything about sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews says, we've not resisted unto blood. We've not shed a drop of blood for the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if we really understand what it is to be marked for the Lord Jesus, to bear the marks of the Lord Jesus in our bodies. Our Christianity, it's so sophisticated. It is so upholstered. It's so streamline. We sing about giving our lives for the faith of our fathers. We talk about our fathers who went through dungeons, were tortured to stand for the word of God. But do we understand the depth of commitment that some people have had to pay to serve Jesus Christ? And here we are as comfortable as can be. And yet we gripe and bellyache when we're asked to do something outside of regular church services. Oh, we make time for business, we make time for pleasure and for family, but what do we do for the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Amen. Leonard Ravenhill wrote about the Apostle Paul, and this is what he said. Look closely at Paul, at the corpse-like countenance, that scarred body, that stooped figure of a man ravished by hunger, kept down by fasting, plowed over with the whip's lash, that little body, brutally stoned at Lestra, starved in many places, that skin pickled for 36 hours in the Mediterranean Sea. And add to this list danger upon danger and then multiply it with loneliness and then finally count in the 199 stripes, three shipwrecks, three beatings with rods, a stoning, a prison record, and deaths so many that, can't, that, that count is lost. And then even within the church, the church is, such as Corinth, he faced the danger of attack instigated by or at the hands of false brethren. See, people criticize Paul, but Paul says, you talk a lot about your faith and your belief, but I'm asking you, where are your marks? I bear in my body the marks of the master. It shames me when I think about that. I've suffered so very little, if I've even suffered at all for Jesus. Yet Paul told us in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. I wonder why some of us seem to get off so easily. 
I wonder why some of us are so comfortable, so well-fed, we have it so easy, yet we're the mumbling, grumbling, complainous group of people that may inhabit this planet. Suppose maybe we don't know much about the marks of Jesus. But that's what Paul's talking about. I want you to see the meaning, number two, this morning of the marks. The meaning of the marks. Well, none of us ought to sign up to go find some markings for Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, you follow me, there's going to be opposition. It may not look like the Apostle Paul. And none of us should want that. This book of Galatians, he's been trying to explain, this is not meritorious. You don't get more favor from God or power from God or approval from God based upon your marks. That's not what he's talking about. But he is saying that there is something that ought to be tangible when it comes to our life. We're branded by something or someone. Your children know how you're branded. Those around you know how you're branded. And Paul says, I bear the branding of Jesus. See number two, the meaning of the marks in verse number 14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The making of those marks tells a story, but what's the meaning of those marks? In verse number 14 when he talks about this, the word Paul uses, um, verse, well, we'll go over to verse number 17. The word that he uses for marks, I bear in my body the marks, is not the ordinary usage of the word uh, for mark. It's a different word. It's a word for which we get stigma. Stigmata would be the Greek word. And we get our English word stigma from this word. And it has a few important meanings to it. When Paul uses the word stigmata, stigma, mark, he's telling us that it means, number one, a mark of ownership. Ownership. Stigmata was a brand. In that day, over two-thirds of the world was in slavery. And the way a master would mark a slave was to brand a slave. I mean, put your mark right there in his face on his forehead or on his hand. Put a literal mark on him is what a master would sometimes do. They would even notch the ear with certain kind of notches. They're simply saying that the slave belonged to a particular household. Paul says, I've been marked for Jesus. I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Jesus has his brand on me. I belong to him. He can say to me, go like Abraham we saw this morning in Sunday school, and I'll go. He can say, stay, and I'll stay. He can say, come, and I'll come because he has marked me. I belong to him. The meaning of the mark is the mark of ownership. I wonder how Paul would respond to our efforts today to get people to give Jesus a dime, to get people just to tithe, to get people to be faithful, to read the Bible, 
Spend time with meeting with God. Show up to activities. Get your kids to go to a youth activity of this church. I'm just asking way too much. I wonder what Paul would have thought about it. Paul may have thought something like, shouldn't you be the bond slave of Jesus Christ? When do you get to say so? You ought to be willing to do anything the Lord asks you to do, just as a slave was willing to serve his master and belong to his master. A bond slave? You say, well, I'm a bond slave of Jesus. I'm just not the bond slave of the church. This is his body. Where's his head? It's attached to the church. Another meaning of the mark. Stigmata was also used by soldiers. It's a mark of allegiance. They were often branded with the insignia of the crest of their army or general. For example, Alexander the Great, the soldiers had a little brand on their bodies. It was the Greek letter alpha. It was that letter A for Alexander. And they would wear that. It was a mark of allegiance. It meant our allegiance belongs to our commander. Our loyalty belongs to our commander. Alexander the Great, and uh, we belong to him. We wear his mark with pride because our allegiance belongs to him. See, Paul was saying that these marks mean my allegiance belongs to Jesus. He owns me and he has my allegiance. He's my commander in chief. He's my general. Doesn't it make you feel pretty good to be in an army led by a general who never lost a battle? Amen. Amen. The captain of the Lord's host. I tell you, if I'm going to be branded by somebody, I don't want to be branded by the devil. I want to be branded by somebody who's a winner. Somebody who is a victor. Somebody who's always going to win. The Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you, if you've followed sports, you may have acquired a, a jersey or, or something from a sports figure or, or even a hat or just your loyalty to a particular team or a favorite player or in, in NASCAR, a driver. And one thing is, is, is almost certain is that especially if they succeed, they're going to another team. They're going to drive for another owner. And so loyalty, if you're going to follow them, you've got to change loyalties. And, and it can be frustrating when you're trying to, to, to display loyalty. We love this team. I've loved this player. But he goes to another team. I'm not going with that team. And so now he, I can't love that player anymore. And people who have yet to figure out their relationship to Jesus, they live a lot the same way. But if you're marked for Christ, it means you belong in his army. It means you're a soldier in the army of the Lord. Not only the mark of ownership of a slave or the mark of allegiance of a warrior, but there's also another mark. And it's a mark of shame in some instances. A stigmata could be a mark placed upon a criminal to tell people about the crime that they committed. And that day, not only did they put a man in prison, but sometimes if his crimes were dangerous, they'd put a mark on his forehead. If he escaped or served his term and was set free, all society could look at him and know the crime that was committed. They might mark his head with the word thief. They might mark his head with the word murder. They might say liar. 
He was marked. He was a marked man everywhere he went. He wore an indelible brand. Can you imagine the shame, the disgrace of having somebody in your family with that mark upon their body everywhere you go? And that's what this stigmata was. And Paul's saying sometimes the mark that we carry for Christ, it may be a mark of reproach as the world looks at it. We must understand that this world that hated Christ and crucified him will not love those who follow Jesus until they meet him. They're not going to love you. They don't, the world doesn't really care about your relationship with the Lord as long as it does not disturb them. We, we take too many cues from the world. Don't take your cue from the world. Separation of church and state, not in the Constitution. We, we can't have this praying in, in sports. You can't pray. You can't, you can't talk. We got to change the national anthem because it talks about God. We can't pray, but you let one of their players almost die on the field and you'll find the entire stadium and team praying. Former presidents, you can't pray. We're not going to cram this down somebody's throat. But you let a tragedy happen. And Obama had no problem saying thoughts and prayers go out to the loved ones of this. Where's the consistency? Well, when you don't know Jesus, there is no consistency because you've not even aligned yourself with the very purpose of why you were created. Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The world will not just embrace us and congratulate us because you found why you were created. They're not going to applaud you for that. Not everybody's going to be excited about your faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes the mark of Christ can be a mark of shame, not just to the world, but other believers who are ashamed of Jesus. Today we've got People talking about going for the gold. Um, they're, they're, they're living for the lottery. Their sports, we're, 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 we're going for the championship. Just saw a heading uh, in, in perusing the news. And it said that Nick Saban, coach of Alabama, he turned down a couple of, of potential players, uh, college players, because they wanted too much money in the NIL deal. Everybody's going for something. You know what Paul says? I'm not interested in medals. I'm interested in scars. Are you willing to wear the reproach of the cross, the shame of the cross? See, when people laugh and scoff and don't like you because of your faith, are you still willing to let them know that you belong to Jesus? You remember this. You laugh your way into hell, but you don't laugh your way out of hell. So why would you be concerned about someone who is on their way to hell laughing at those who found the way, the truth, and the life or those who are ashamed of Jesus making fun of those who are in love with Jesus? That's the meaning of the marks. I want you to see the third thing this morning and that is the message of the marks. Why did Paul end the Galatian letter with this message? Verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? I think there's a couple reasons. One is because he wants it to be an encouragement 
to the people of God to be faithful. It was an encouragement to be steadfast in faithfulness. It was an encouragement not to grow weary in well-doing. For in due season ye shall reap and harvest what you've planted if you faint not. It was an encouragement to faithfulness. He's challenging people, put your eyes on the cross. Everybody's going to glory in something. You know, people glory in their hobbies. They glory in their stamp collection, glory in their gun collection. They glory in their fishing trophies. They glory in their bowling trophies. They glory in their golf game. I think I've hit everything that I don't do right there and uh, can find that and just, we all glory in something. Everybody has something they glory in, something that they're, they're just proud of, something that they enjoy. By the way, there's nothing wrong with enjoying hobbies. There's nothing wrong with diversions of life, going out in the garden, exercising, hunting. There's nothing wrong with a diversion, but may it never become a distraction from the main thing, and that is glorying in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, when it, and by the way, that doesn't come natural. How do you glory in that? I'm going to give you two words. Experience God. It's not going to be natural. That's why some of you are sitting there and say, this is the dumbest thing. This is the most boring thing. I can't wait till I get out of here. The most that, that getting up you do when it comes to the end of the message, when the invitation comes around is to get up and go to the bathroom or get up and go to the car. The only thing that some do in the invitation is just zip, zip, zip and, and get all ready to go and try to get a head start to get to the vehicle. You, you don't understand it. I get it. Paul says, I get it. But it's because you haven't yet experienced Jesus. Amen. You experience him, you will glory. You're going to be excited. You're going to boast in who he is. He's encouraging people to stay faithful. Now, there are things he could have gloried in. Just mention a few. He could have gloried in his academics. Do you know that Paul had at least a double PhD? I think he would have had, as I done some, some counting up, I think he could have had an equivalent to three PhDs. But at least out of safety, we know that he had earned double PhDs in standards of education. He was a brilliant man. He sat under the feet of Gamaliel in the seminary in Jerusalem. And Paul had been not only to Hebrew seminary, but he had been to Greek seminary. And he was a scholar. He spoke several languages. He could have gloried in his academics, but he did not. He could have gloried in his achievements. Paul started more churches, preached more sermons, warned more souls than anybody else. He wrote more books of the Bible. Over half the New Testament, he could have gloried in his achievements. He could have said indignantly to the people of Galatia, how dare you question my accomplishments and achievements? I'll show you. But he didn't glory in that. He didn't glory in his academics, in his achievements. He could have gloried in his ability to reason, to challenge with the mind, the tongue, but he didn't. He could have gloried in another matter. He could have gloried in his aristocracy. He could have gloried in the fact he was a citizen of Rome, even though he was a Jew. 
He was a Pharisee also. He was a Jew of the Jew, Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was also the tribe of Benjamin. That means he had all the right connections as far as the family was concerned, both to the Jews and to the Roman government. He said, but I don't glory in any of those things. God forbid that I should glory in any of those things except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul said that, he was encouraging us to be faithful to the cross in the days of the knights. When knights were bold men who would go out to war, they'd stand and they would vie for who would stand by the king. Because where the king was in battle, that's where the battle was going to be fought. And that's where it was going to be the hottest. And they wanted to protect the king because the king would be the focal point of the battle. The hottest part. And when the battle was over, the knights would come back and they would sit around and they'd talk about the battle and they would begin to show the scars. And the king would rise and he would show the scars from his body as well because of leading them. Those who fought closest to the king stood at his side, were faithful to him. They loved him so much, they're willing to risk their, their lives. And these knights always had the greatest number of scars, the greatest number of wounds. And then there was always those a little bit ashamed, a little bit sheepish, because they didn't have any scars in the battle. After all, they had not fought in the heat of the battle. They had not fought close to the side of the king. Child of God, one of these days, we're going to get to heaven and see the Lord Jesus. Somebody has said, mentioned the men's prayer, there is something that will be man-made in heaven. The only thing man-made, made by man in heaven, will be the scars in the hands and feet and side of Jesus. And there will be that time at the judgment seat of Christ when we will give an account of our faithfulness. I wonder in that day, in that hour, will we be able to stand at the side of our king and say, here are the scars that we received, the marks we received because we were loyal to the king and we loved the king and we stood at the side of the king. Amy Carmichael, young missionary lady to China, wrote, What? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master, so shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, no scar? Some may be here hurting this morning because you've been scarred in the battle. You've been faithful. Satan has come up against you, but you've continued to serve. You've continued to believe. You've remained steadfast. You still serve without wavering. You continue to believe God no matter what. And you continue to stand for the word of God. You continue to use your gifts for him. You've received some scars. And what a day it will be for you when you stand by the side of your king. And because he has received scars on our behalf, it'll be a time of great rejoicing. He's writing this. The message is an encouragement to faithfulness. But it's also an encouragement 
to fearlessness. You don't have to be afraid. You suffer for Christ. You don't have to fear. The hymn writer wrote, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? Shall I fear to own His cause, cause or blush? To speak His name? No, I must fight if I would win. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the cross, endure the shame, supported by Thy Word. No believer in this place that goes out in the name of Jesus tomorrow needs to be intimidated because the enemy has been defeated. Oh, he's about, he's creating activity. Paul says that the Lord's told us he gives us authority over all the power of the enemy. Paul said, I glory in the cross. He's telling us how he endured all that persecution, how he endured the hardship, how he endured the shame. He did it because his eyes were upon the cross of Jesus and he'd been crucified to the world and the world crucified to him. That's why Paul said, I die daily. I die to self and I live only to God. The message is an encouragement to fearlessness. It's an encouragement to faithfulness, but then it's an encouragement to fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Paul was used of God mightily because he remembered the words of Jesus that said, except a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone, but if it falls into the ground and it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Paul told us earlier, rather, in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But Paul is saying you can't live the abundant, victorious, overflowing, abounding life until there's death to self. Someone has said if you succeed without suffering, it's because someone else has suffered before you. And if you suffer without succeeding, Someone will suffer after you. But there is no success without suffering. See, fruitfulness always means that there has to be sowing. We looked at that last week. And the things we're going to, uh, to, to uh, plant and, 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 and sow and, and produce for the Lord are things if they're going to remain, if they're going to, uh, to, to remain as fruit that, that doesn't fall away, it has to be that of the cross, about the cross, for the cross. Because everything else is going to pass away. There was a man in the Bible who didn't know whether he believed that Jesus rose from the dead or not. He believed that Jesus died because he saw him die. But he didn't know for sure that he believed that he rose from the dead. And so Thomas said to the other disciples, except I see the scars in his hands, unless I reach out and touch my hand to the scar on his side, unless I see those scars, I will not believe that he rose from the dead, that what you said is true about having experienced him. And Jesus appeared. And Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, behold my hand. And my feet. Thomas, take your hand and thrust it into the scar in my side. And Thomas fell on his knees. You remember what he cried? My Lord, my God. 
He was a man who could only be convinced by the marks and the scars. I believe there's people in this very room. And I know there's people all around us who are wondering, is Jesus really alive? Does He really help people? Does He really answer prayer? Does He have power to heal? Does He have power to deliver people to help them through their daily problems? They really want to believe that if there is a Jesus, that Jesus is alive and they want to believe that He's real. I say it all the time. I believe people who are going headlong into things that will destroy their life, ultimately they're looking for real But I wonder if maybe people are not convinced of Jesus and experiencing Him because they see no marks in you or me. If they just saw the marks of the Lord Jesus, maybe they too would say, my Lord and my God. Oh, listen, these scars, some of you have them. You've suffered for the Master. But don't waste them. Let God get the glory for them. Those scars you have because of the difficulty that came in your family, those scars you have because even now you have spent time in prayer and experiencing God in the Word, just believing God for His strength, those scars are going to be the very thing that will convince people because you've been branded with Jesus. And if He means that much to you, there must be something to Him. Bear in your life the marks of the Lord Jesus. Well, you say, my goodness, preacher, I thought this thing of being a Christian was supposed to be wonderful. Hey, Paul would say, don't you feel sorry for me? Paul would be looking down, feeling sorry for us. One of these days, you're going to meet Jesus. You're going to find the reality of that song written by Esther that says it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus... Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. I bear in my body little marks, Paul said, for the Lord Jesus. Because I've been branded for Christ May we be able to say the same. Let's stand together, please.